This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. This morning, President Biden delivered remarks on the country's economic recovery amid the COVID-19 pandemic one day before his six-month mark since taking office. President addressing what he believes to be his administration's biggest achievements and where the country is headed now. We brought this economy back from the brink and we've designed our strategy not only to provide for a temporary boost, but to lay the foundation for a long-term boom that brings everyone President Biden also defended his administration's push for big tech to monitor misinformation about COVID-19 and COVID-19 vaccines, as well as continuing to champion his latest infrastructure package on Capitol Hill. For this and more, we'll bring in our all-star panel, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, political correspondent for NPR, Mara Liason, and Republican strategist and former campaign manager for Senator Scott Brown, Colin Reed. Okay, Maura, um, you know, obviously the, the president is looking at the economic situation, uh, touting a comeback from COVID-19, but there are really turbulent waters ahead if inflation continues to rise. That's right. And there's a debate among economists about how bad the, the possibility of inflation is. And of course, there's a psychological element to this. If people fear inflation, Sometimes that fear can make inflation happen. And the big question is, will we have it? We already have it, actually, in many sectors. But the question is, how long will it last? And will the Fed be able to handle it, which is what Jerome Powell says he thinks the Fed can do? Right. And that is the big question. Tom, uh, in the wake of this, obviously, the talk is of this uh, big package on infrastructure and then another package on human infrastructure up on Capitol Hill to the tune of trillions of dollars. Uh, that's usually not the way you you tackle inflation uh, by throwing money at it. No, but but the Democrats do not seem to um, be very interested in trimming their sales at all in terms of their ambitions and the overall uh, you know, scope of their agenda. It seems like it's it's pretty much full steam ahead and inflation is going to be what it's going to be. So we shall see. I mean, I did, obviously there are some Democrats uh, in it's the usual cast of characters, right? Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, who I think are apprehensive about uh, some of the numbers that are being thrown around. So we'll see um, 
if and when and how any of these things get passed. I, I've been, you know, said this before on your show a number of times, Brett, I'm, I'm a cynic when it comes to stuff. I'm, I, I believe that, um, you know, my, my default position is nothing gets done unless and until I see something get done. And so far, we still haven't seen it. Colin? Well, Brett, I was struck watching the president go before the cameras to reassure the voters about the strength of the economy and the split screen of the Dow taking a, a triple uh, digit plunge uh, was reminiscent of my time as a staffer on Senator McCain's campaign in 2008 when he was talking about the fundamentals of the economy being strong. I mean, it's just bad optics and voters don't typically buy it. I think the president and his party are whistling past the graveyard if they're dismissing the economic concerns right now as some sort of partisan or Republican cooked up hoax. Uh, I saw polling numbers this morning from AAN saying that 88% of voters are concerned about the cost of living. 86% are worried about inflation. Uh, the president is seeking his second act past COVID. And, and by the way, COVID may not be all the way behind us if today's news is any indicator. But th these are real warning signs, whether it's gas prices, supply chain issues, a rising China, consumer price indexes. All of these things are big concerns. And uh, the president may be putting on a face saying that he's nothing, nothing to see here. But I think uh, behind the scenes, he and his party know they need to do something and do it now because the midterm elections next year will be decided on economic issues above all else. Tanking based on, it seems, on the, the, the resurgent fears about COVID-19 and right. the Delta variant. That's what it seemed like. And of course, you know, one day dip in the Dow isn't going to determine the results of the election. But I can tell you that the White House is concerned about this. I don't think the president would, would be out there talking about it if they didn't think this was something to be worried about. They're pretty on top of things to worry about, whether it's crime or immigration or the economy. It, it's just that they don't have a whole lot that they can do to change things. You know, presidents are at the mercy of the economy. And, um, you know, th they need this economic recovery to continue and to continue strong if he's going to try to avoid the fate that most presidents have met in their first term, which is losing a lot of seats in Congress. Tom, you know, this whole back and forth as we talk about resurgence of the Delta variant and and uh, especially in unvaccinated people uh, with the president coming out and saying Facebook and other social media platforms are killing people and then kind of walking it back, saying they were not really right. killing people, but it's the people putting misinformation and they're using these platforms and that's killing people. Um, it just seems to be walking down this road. And if you look back at clips, back to, you know, Vice President Biden as a candidate and Senator Harris as a candidate saying they would really be hesitant taking a vaccine that the Trump FDA approved, um, it's a little disingenuous, the whole thing. Well, I agree. And and certainly, um, look, I think that the, the bigger issue, which has really alarmed people is this idea, as Jen Psaki said from the White House podium the other day, that they are working with Facebook to flag misinformation. You have the government essentially uh, running its, its own operation in terms of declaring and deciding what they what is misinformation and then working with Facebook to get that, you know, taken down or throttled or censored or whatever you want to say. Um, and Jen Shockey got a lot of questions about that today because it has opened up a whole bunch of questions about exactly, you know, who's going to be doing the deciding what is considered misinformation, given the fact that 
some of the things that were considered misinformation would have been considered misinformation or was considered misinformation, right? The lab leak theory, uh, you know, the appropriateness of masks initially, there's a whole host of things. And which, which now, um, you know, are considered to be totally within bounds and, and legitimate discussion. So I think that's the thing that, um, that the administration has really gotten themselves into trouble on and raised a whole lot of questions. And they're not, you know, there aren't a lot of good answers to that. Again, Jen Psaki was trying to sort of finesse this today and say, look, we're not at war with Facebook and we're working with Facebook. And, but that's just, um, as far as conservatives are concerned, Republicans, I mean, they're sort of up in arms. You saw Kaylee McEnany say, imagine if I had done this from the White House podium, the amount of, you know, the amount of abuse that I would have taken if I had said we were going to flag misinformation. So uh, I think there's a double standard involved as well. That's, that's, you know, causing some people um, some, some heartburn. Yeah. And Colin, while Republicans may like this narrative and, and this, this battle that, that they've set up, which technically should be uh, they should have allies in the ACLU and others uh, on, on the free speech side. Uh, there is this onus. It seems that that Republicans uh, like, for example, the former president could be doing more about talking up the vaccine and um, to try to get unvaccinated people vaccinated. Certainly, I think there's more that can and should be done to encourage uh, those who are uh, hesitant about the vaccine to go and get it. I don't think it's all entirely Republicans and I th- or conservatives, and I think that's a, a false premise that the White House has set up. And, and by the way, this whole thing should be depoliticized. This should not become a political issue about who and isn't get, who is getting COVID and who isn't, because as the Biden White House or the Biden campaign was fond of pointing out last year during the campaign correctly, uh, the, COVID of, uh, the COVID issue should not be a political football. But as it relates to misinformation on the tech platforms, uh, it's only a poor craftsman that blames their tools. And for the Biden administration to be out there accusing an American company of murder, I mean, that is quite a statement. And then to walk it back today. Uh, but, but these are the issues they need to sort out. They need to figure out how they can get people who aren't getting uh, vaccinated to go out and get it. And they have a lot of tools at their resources. They're talking about getting local voices to stress the message that vaccines do work. Um, the mnRNA is technology. It's not necessarily new technology. It's stuff that's been around for a while and has done, um, um, you know, has done miracles in the health space. And then also to remind people, and I think this might be one of the most compelling messages of what they're all missing out on. I mean, the best part about getting vaccinated is you get to go back to live your life uh, to a, to a normal degree that you were that you were before. So there's a number of things. Certainly, the communication needs to be uh, strengthened, and they need to get to these communities that aren't like, signing up for the shot and mass. But to blame Facebook or to blame any company that that is, uh, in my opinion, that's just a, a lazy uh, political tactic. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Mara, the, you know, there's obviously concern about these different pockets uh, and the resurgence of the variant, uh, but there's also concern about people's choices and their conversations with doctors. Um is there any sense that there's an effort by the administration to get this vaccine to full FDA approval instead of emergency authorization? And is there any evidence that, that the FDA or CDC is following up on any of these, um, these stories or anecdotes of, of issues 
uh, re- relating to one vaccine or another? Well, there's no doubt that if it moved beyond emergency use, I think it would get a lot more credibility. And that would help the administration. It would help local officials convince people who are vaccine hesitant. And we're not talking about people who think that a vaccine is going to implant a computer chip in your brain, just people who have concerns about whether it's safe. I think that would go a long way. I don't know what's holding up the FDA from from doing that. But I do think your earlier point about Donald Trump Uh, kind of taking what he created and something that he rightly claims credit for, the super fast development of this vaccine, um, and promoting it. And and he has a huge uh, amount of credibility with the base of the Republican Party, which includes a lot of people who don't want to get the vaccine. And I think he could do a lot there. And what I have found really surprising is conservatives who reject the vaccine or say that it's somehow a plot or you know, all sorts of other conspiracy theories, that's a stunning display of disloyalty to Donald Trump, because this was one of his crowning achievements. And I am surprised that he doesn't do more to promote it. Yeah. And obviously, the politics surrounding all of that and and seeing where the population is and his base is, is is probably a part of that, Tom. But uh, he's the the leader of that base. Right. The the other question, Tom, is about um, China and where this administration is, you know, this investigation is continuing about the origins. Uh, you have the WHO saying, you know what? We kind of overstepped it at the beginning when we said there's no chance. In fact, <laughs> accidents happen. And then more and more people, and there's anecdotal uh, different stories about uh, senior administration officials in the Biden administration now truly believing that that's the, the end all be all, that it was an accident from that lab. Uh, in addition to that, you have China kind of holding the bag when it comes to some of these hacks uh, across the country uh, here in the U.S. And where is the holding them accountable part of uh, the Biden administration? I mean, are we going to see something different, do you think? (laughs) I I don't know. Um, We haven't seen much yet. And, you know, for all of um, Donald Trump, uh, you know, for all the chaos that he created, one of the things that he did was sort of fundamentally uh, reset, reshape, alter our our stance toward China. And he was, you know, he was tough on China. At the same time, he was very, you know, laudatory towards President Xi at times. Um, but eventually, I mean, he had some real hardliners in his in his administration on China, like Peter Navarro and others uh, on the trade issue, on intellectual property. And I do think that we, we certainly haven't seen that same stance from the Biden administration. Um, and I don't know if they're willing to do what needs to be done, what, what, you know, whatever tools we have in our toolbox to hold China accountable. Because look, I, I don't think anybody thinks that China is just going to suddenly, you know, admit and turn over all the data that we would need to verify, uh, you know, for, for once and all that, that it, it was a lab leak. Nope. China's not going to do that. So this is going to go down as we'll never know. I don't think we'll ever know exactly what happened with beyond a shadow of a doubt. But as far as the other things are concerned, I, I do think the administration needs to take a tougher stance um, toward China on, on some of these issues and, and, you know, continue the Trump policy um, in, in, with that, you know, in that regard. Um, but we're not seeing, I mean, they may be doing some of that behind the scenes, but we're certainly not getting the sort of, you know, the public face that Trump, the Trump administration presented to China. That is not what the Biden administration is doing. Colin. Yeah. 
other than foreign policy, uh, being tough on China was one of the areas where Donald Trump really reshaped the Republican Party uh, and took it in an entirely new direction. And that goes well before the lab leak or COVID-19. And I'm referring to his views on trade and the, and the tariffs he instituted. And at times, if you closed your eyes, uh, Donald Trump would be saying things that were closer to Bernie Sanders or, or Sherrod Brown or some of these other uh, Rust Belt Democrats than they were to more of the uh, free trade policies of the Republican Party. And outside of infrastructure, getting tough on China uh, could be the one thing where both parties would be able to get behind because it is something that's immensely popular with voters across the spectrum. Uh, and so far, there hasn't been a vehicle or a vessel. Uh, President Biden spent a lot of time and got a lot of headlines and attention for his, his efforts toward Putin, but he hasn't really put any meat in the bones when it comes to China. And depending on what happens with this infrastructure bill and its fate, uh, that could be an area where he might actually find some bipartisan support before we get into an election year. Uh, but all that's a very big question mark because of the lack of any sort of tangible uh, action there right now. Colin, understanding that everybody looks through their prism uh, about performance, uh, what what do you think the Biden administration is doing right now? Well, I think regardless of what happens with the 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 Delta variant and the the ongoing questions it's, that's bringing up, I, I think they deserve credit uh, for getting this vaccine distributed. I think if in July 2020 you'd say you project a year ahead and say we'd be where we are in terms of vaccine rollout and quote unquote normalcy in large parts of the country, it would have been unfathomable. And I think uh, President Biden deserves credit for that because he was in charge for it, just as I think uh, President Trump deserves credit that he won't get from uh, for getting the vaccine here where we're at. So that was where he based his candidacy. That was what he uh, ran on as being an antidote and a, a different change of course on the, on the pandemic, which was uh, such a huge and remains a, a, a big part of our lives. And I think he, he deserves credit on that, but every presidency has multiple acts. And I think right now they're really trying to figure out uh, what their next one is. And then, of course, this Delta variant threatens to throw a monkey wrench into where we go from here. Meantime, the uh, Mara, the back and forth over the 2020 election uh, continues with the former president uh, putting out statements about audits in Arizona and Georgia. We're following all of that. And I made the mistake of updating the official uh, tally of ballots that have been uh, officially thrown out as of this point, as the efforts continue in their investigations and said it's roughly about 200 in Arizona, um, which is factually accurate, but that, received the ire of the former president over the weekend, putting out a statement uh, specifically about our show and, and my, uh, my reader on it is how big a problem politically is this as um, you know, and we'll see where this investigation goes, but right now uh, nothing is seen yet. That's going to overturn those, those elections in Arizona or Georgia. And even if both of those States went, he would need two others uh, to go. Um, how big politically is this an issue for Republicans? I think it's very big. I mean, you have big chunks of the Republican electorate who believe the election was stolen, even though we've had investigation after investigation, audit after audit. And I think there should be as many audits as necessary. I mean, you know, everything should be looked at, but they're just not coming up with examples of fraudulent votes more than a very, very, very small number, certainly not anywhere near enough to change the outcome of the election. But it means that the Republican voters are very skeptical about whether elections will be free and fair. Uh, I think that's bad. I mean, when you have a very low trust society and people don't trust institutions and 
a safe ballot is one of the most basic institutions in a democracy. And I think it's it's bad. Now, will it hurt the Republican candidates next time, especially a lot of them are running um, on this notion that somehow the 2020 election was stolen from Trump, but somehow not from them because they got elected on the same ballot. No, I think it's a big problem. Tom? Yeah, I agree. Look, Republicans uh, who are running certainly in 2022, they don't want to be relitigating 2020, right? That's not a good place for them to be. They want to be looking forward. Um, I also do think it is a, it is an issue with the Republican base that so many of them think that, that the election was riddled with, you know, inaccuracies and slash fraud or, or whatever. Um, that is not good for the country. I think that's what a lot of these these bills that are being passed in state legislatures around the country is designed to do is to sort of, you know, reinstill some some confidence in the system. But, you know, the flip side of that is that you've got, you know, Democrats portraying it, even Joe Biden, all the way to the very top saying, look, this is the this is, you know, Jim Crow 2.0. This is the biggest threat to the country since the Civil War. I mean, the 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 level of rhetoric that is surrounding this um, coming from the Democrats is also, I think, very um, is not good for the country, is very divisive. And to suggest that anybody who, who you know, is interested in, um, you know, trying to restore some integrity to the process is, is you know, is a racist. Uh, as Charles Blow wrote in the New York Times last week, you know, we're living through 1890 again. This is reconstruction. I mean, it's just crazy talk. And so um, I don't, and I don't, I don't think the voters actually are buying it. I don't think the public's really buying that. Um, but that certainly is where the Democrats are, all of them are in terms of their rhetoric. And so um, I think both of those things happening in conjunction are, are pretty bad for the country. And I'm not sure it's going to play out in terms of like the vote in 2022. Um, but it certainly it certainly is an ongoing battle that is that is not helping unite the country. Yeah. So, Colin, just here's one example from Arizona that is getting thrown. You know, you should see my social media over the past couple of days. Um, 74,000. This is a stat that comes from this independent audit. 74,000 mail-in ballots received that were never mailed. Um, that's There's one report that tracks all requests the voters make for early ballots, either by mail or in person, up to 11 days uh, before the election. There's another report that tracks all the ballots received through the day before the election that leaves a 10 day window during which people who vote in person, but don't request a mail-in ballot would appear on one report, but not the other. Um, this independent audit it had the number of 74,241 votes, uh, ballots on the submitted list without a corresponding entry on the requested list. But then another independent look found that 99.9% .9 of the ballots actually did show up on the submitted ballots list after October 26th or later. And um, this independent team, the cyber ninjas uh, concedes that they never said this was fraud or criminal. They're just merely stating the facts as they were provided to them and they didn't have an explanation. This would not be necessary to mention if the county simply would communicate with the independent audit team when there are questions. Okay. So that's their answer, right? But that doesn't get out to the masses. And what gets out is that there's 74,000 ballots that that um, came back that were not requested. And without I, I guess I'm not getting defensive here, but without getting um, that fact from fiction 
each little thing, you know, you're kind of like an ice hockey goalie that's trying to prevent the bad pucks from getting by. And, um, you know, it's just a, it's just a big issue uh, that, that goes to a broader problem. Yeah. And the, well, look, the president, president Trump and his team, his legal team had their day in court, many days in court to make these cases and they didn't win. And then they've continued to not win in the court of public opinion. And then at some point, uh, voters and, and party faithful will get tired of relitigating the last election because they realize the wasted movement, the wasted motion is not moving in a productive direction. If you look at all the noise in Georgia between the November elections and the two Republican, the two Republican defeats in the special Senate elections in January, uh, had Republicans uh, focused on turning out their voters, uh, there'd be a Republican-controlled Senate right now. Instead, Chuck Schumer is calling the shots and, and, is, and it can have his way with the infrastructure bill for, for all intents and purposes. So it, th this is all just a lot of wasted energy and a lot of wasted effort. The, the, the election is not going to get overturned. The best way to put a conservative into the White House is to focus on 2024. Republicans will and can have a compelling message to make on the economy. And that nine times out of 10 is where voters cast their ballots and they have plenty to work with next year if they're able to uh, let go of the past and, and move forward. Last thing, Mara, uh, as mentioned, Chuck Schumer there obviously has, has moved to, to have a vote on Wednesday on an infrastructure deal uh, with the prospect of potentially doing a $3.5 trillion reconciliation, which means only Democrat votes. Uh, for the second human infrastructure, if you want to call it that, uh, Bill, the prospects of both of those going smoothly for the Democrats? Well, it would be, based on our recent experience, it would be hard to imagine that they'll both go smoothly. But I think the first vote, the test, the bipartisan infrastructure bill will be a real test of Joe Biden's belief that bipartisan compromise is still possible in Washington. We're going to find out if 10 Republicans are willing to vote for it. About 20 have already said that they support it. But Mitch McConnell really hasn't weighed in yet on whether he wants to stop it or not. It sounds like he wants to focus on trying to stop the bigger bill, the $3.5 trillion Democrats-only bill. Both of those bills mean threading the needle. Chuck Schumer uh, is on, on a real high wire act. And remember the last time a Senate majority leader tried this, Mitch McConnell with Obamacare, and you had John McCain with his thumbs down. It didn't work out so well. Good, good uh, hearkening back to that moment. All right, yeah. panel, thank you. Here's a bit of presidential trivia. On July 20th, 18, or 1969, rather, President Richard Nixon watched the American Apollo 11 astronauts Neil Armstrong and Edwin Buzz Aldrin walk on the moon. Ever since, the Soviet Union beat the U.S. in demand space flight with Yuri uh, Garrigan's. Ever since the Soviet Union beat the U.S. into manned space flight in 1961, then-President John F. Kennedy pledged that America would be the first to put a man on the moon with the help of his successors, Lyndon B. Johnson and Richard Nixon. Former President Kennedy's goal became reality less than a decade later. After Armstrong and Aldrin planted an American flag on the moon, they spoke directly to President Nixon, who continued to be an influence on America's space program, launching the Space Shuttle program, which represented a giant leap forward in advancing technology for space travel. What happens next in space, we'll see. Might be companies. That'll do it for us this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. 
for Tom and Mara and Colin. I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.